every kind of mountain we get to the top of, we're constantly immediately kind of bored with that mountain we're at and looking to the next one, which in some ways is good. It means we kind of keep pushing, but it's really terrible for our happiness because we don't really enjoy the journey. That's Dr. Lori Santos. And this is the Depression Detox Show. Welcome back to the Depression Detox Show, where we share ideas and stories to help you live a happier life. I am your host, Malik Josephs. Happy Friday. Thank you so much for joining me today as we wrap up our week with Yale professor, Dr. Lori Santos, back on the show. And in today's clip, she's going to be sharing four of her five top insights about happiness. And I really enjoyed today's talk, especially her take on something she calls time affluence. And I've actually started practicing what she calls time confetti. And you'll get it when you listen to today's clip. And what I like to say is it definitely has helped my level of happiness. And it's also increased my levels of of clarity and also focus. So I hope you enjoy this one. And let's dive right in with Dr. Lori Santos. Enjoy. Starting with the insight that I think is most important, which is that if you want to take the science seriously, you need to realize that our minds kind of lie to us when it comes to happiness. It's kind of a strange notion, but the idea is that we're walking around with these big brains, fantastically smart, but these brains actually have intuitions about the sorts of things we can do to feel better. If I do this, I will feel happy. If I get this thing, I'll feel happier. And what the science has shown is that, by and large, many of those intuitions about the things we could get that would make us happy, they just seem to be wrong. Like, let's take some really basic ones. Money. The intuition is like, if I just get more of this, I'll be happier. And that is true if you are living at lower incomes. But the evidence from two Nobel Prize winning psychologists suggests that if you're earning about 75K right now in the US, doubling or quadrupling your income won't have any impact on your happiness, which is what the data suggests, right? You can go out and study people who have all the stuff that like, money can buy, like you know, fancy planes and all these things. And what you find is they're no happier on average than the average person who's earning 75K. This is true not just of material possessions, but of accolades. I think we're always constantly in this race to get to the next thing, to get to the next promotion, to get to like 11 on whatever we're going for in life. But the data really suggests that once you get to 11, it's not going to work in the way you think. This is what researchers call the arrival fallacy. I'll be happier when I get there, but you're never as happy as you think. And you might say, like, that sucks. It should be the case that good things in life do bring us happiness. What's going on? And that's big insight number two that I want to walk through, which is that there's this bias of the mind that's known as hedonic adaptation. And it's what's messing us up in terms of happiness. What is hedonic adaptation? Is that we adapt to our hedonic circumstances, or perhaps more like colloquially put, we just get used to stuff. Wonderful things in life, they're wonderful when we first get them, but when they stick around, their wonderfulness kind of wanes, right? This is why money doesn't make us as happy as we think. And we can study hedonic adaptation in money, which is what many psychologists do. One of my favorite studies asks the following question, what if I could give you an annual salary check right now, every year for the rest of your life, 
that was so high you'd never need a dollar more. How much would you need? Right? And so we can ask folks who are earning different amounts of money, what if you're earning 30K, is that enough? These folks say no, but if I was earning 50K annually, I'd never need another cent. Right? So we should find the folks earning 50K, and they should be like, totally thrilled. Uh, researchers do one better, they find folks earning $100,000. These folks should be like, it's piling up in my living room, I don't know what to do with it, but they don't, surprisingly, perhaps say that. They say that what they need to feel happy is $250,000. And you're all smirking, which means you're great at math, even in this late part of the afternoon. It's not that you get to the destination as you get more, you get further away from the destination. That's hedonic adaptation and action, and it works not just for money, but all the things that money can buy. Your house kind of sticks around, you get used to it. My colleague uh, Dan Gilbert at Harvard often quips that when we buy a new car, we want one that's going to last. But in terms of our happiness, that's the worst thing a car can do, because it will stick around to disappoint you. It'll just be this <laughs> boring car that sucks over time. But it's not just the money and the material goods in life. Every kind of mountain we get to the top of, We're constantly, immediately kind of bored with that mountain we're at and looking to the next one, which in some ways is good. It means we kind of keep pushing, but it's really terrible for our happiness because we don't really enjoy the journey. And so you might be saying, this sucks, hedonic adaptation sounds pretty crappy. What can we do to fight it? We can't shut it off, but we might be able to do things to fight it in certain ways. And the science suggests that one powerful way we can fight hedonic adaptation is to take time to appreciate the kinds of things that we do have, to be grateful for the journey, to be grateful for the stuff we have. It's nice if you're sort of naturally in a mindset of gratitude, but if you're not, there's a quick hack you can do, which is to bring yourself into that mindset. The quick act of, for example, scribbling down three to five things that you're grateful for every night. Sounds very cheesy and hippy-dippy. I guess we're in California, so it's cool for hippy-dippy, but sounds like us, uh, so hippy-dippy. Evidence suggests that in as little as two weeks, this will statistically improve your life satisfaction. Just a simple act of scribbling down a few things that you're grateful for. But really hacking hedonic adaptation as our top tip number three, which is that we need to start making sure that we're investing in the stuff that we're not going to get used to, right? And that means your money and your time, right? What's the stuff we get used to? We talked about it, cars. Going to stick around to disappoint you. But it turns out if you invest in experiences, things like you know, going on some cool trip, like engaging in like, some fun concert, right? Like watching cool stuff, going to art, delicious wine, right? These are things that don't last long enough for you to get used to them. Or maybe that's because I'm academic. You all are C-suite, so maybe you buy bottles of wine that last like months long. Mine, I'm going to drink it pretty quickly, right? It's not going to stick around to disappoint me, and that is a good thing about experiences. The evidence suggests investing in experiences will continue to boost your happiness. But another thing we can invest in that we forget is the power of time. There's a lot of work in social science right now about what's called time affluence. Not wealth affluence, but this subjective sense that you're wealthy in time, that you can, you're not sort of feeling what a lot of us experience, which is time famine, where you're like starving for time. You don't know where you're going to squeeze in that next meeting. And time famine has a huge hit on our well-being. In fact, one study found that if you self-report being time famished, that's as bad a hit on your well-being as if you self-report being unemployed. And we just were reminded of 2008 and all the unemployment and all the devastation it did to our well-being. Just being too busy causes that same devastation. And you might be saying, that's really bad because I'm busy all the time, right? Whether it's you know, with childcare kind of stuff or just pushing yourself towards those accolades or that money, which we just saw aren't, isn't going to work for your happiness, bracketed, but push, 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 that means you don't have any time for yourself. So how can you hack your time affluence? Well, one strategy 
is to use the money that many of you have to get back more time. Evidence suggests that spending money to get time back can be a powerful way to improve your overall time affluence, and it's like a good way to spend your money to get back happiness. But my favorite hack towards getting time affluence is to make good use of the time we actually have. Turns out if you do time sampling studies of people nowadays, they have on average more time than they did 10 or 20 years ago. We don't predict that, we think we're busier than ever, but the time studies suggest we're not. The problem is that the time we do have is broken up into really stupid pieces of time, like that five minutes when the, the meeting ends earlier, the 10 minutes when your like, kid falls asleep. That's what researcher Ashley Willens calls time confetti little pieces of time that are floating around, and you get them and you don't think they're that important, so you kind of fling them around, right? Like you check your email or do something stupid, but the evidence suggests if you could make good use of your time confetti, ideally use it for something that's going to improve your well-being, you'd not only get a boost to your well-being, but you'll start to feel a little bit less time famished. And that lack of time famine can really improve your well-being. So find those little scraps that you're throwing around and do something good with it. In fact, researcher Ashley Willens recommends making a time confetti wish list. So like a to-do list that you have, but not to like work to-dos, but what you will do when you get some time. Right? And you can invest in lots of things with your time confetti, but a fantastic thing to invest your time confetti in is social connection. The other thing we should really be investing in, every available study of happy people suggests that happy people are more social. They prioritize time with their friends and family members and the people they care about. And they're also just other-oriented generally. They kind of are happy in part because they care not about their own happiness, but about other people's happiness. And that gets to our fourth insight, which is that this idea of kind of self-care that we hear a lot about, I think it's a bit of a misnomer, because if you look at happy people, happy people aren't so focused on themselves. They're constantly focused on other people. But this isn't the cultural message we get these days. You know, if you watch Parks and Rec, you've heard of, like, treat yourself. I bet they're in the Goop store you could probably buy a pillow or something that says treat yourself, right? But this is what we think. We think if I were having a bad day, we want to invest time and money in ourselves. But if you look at studies of happy people, that's not the way happy people are spending their time. Happy people are constantly doing things for other people. Now, you might say, that's because they're happy. I feel crappy. I don't want to help anybody else, right? <laughs> Fair enough. I'm with you. But there's experimental evidence that if you force people to do nice stuff for others, they in turn will feel happier. One of my favorite studies by Elizabeth Dunn and her colleagues does this in a cute way. They walk up to college students on the street, hand them 20 bucks. It's an awesome study for college students to be in because they're like, 20 bucks? But the key is that the researcher tells the student how to spend it. She either says, by the end of the day, you need to spend this money on yourself, or by the end of the day, you need to spend this money on someone else, do something nice for somebody else. And what she finds is at the end of the day and even at the end of the week, students who spent the money on somebody else were happier, which is pretty cool. But spending on others doesn't just increase your happiness, it's also a fantastic way to reduce stress. I bet when Sanjay comes up later, we're going to hear about the connection between stress and stress-related illnesses, all these bad things it does to our body. That's a consistent like, relationship, stress, bad, bad effects on our body. But if you pull out people who self-report that they spend a lot of time doing meaningful things for other people, you don't see that relationship as significantly. In other words, people, have, people are stressed, they experience stress, but they don't have the stress-related illnesses, just because they're kind of focused on other people. So it's good for our happiness, but it might also be good for our longevity and our bodies, too. And so that's tub insight number four. We've got to get out of this kind of self-care mindset and go to a mindset of being other-oriented. Big thanks to Dr. Lori Santos for stopping by. I got this clip from YouTube, and it is entitled, How to Be Happy. 
Google Zeitgeist. And if you'd like to connect with her, you can go to her website, drlauriesantos.com. Her Instagram is Lori Santos Official. Her YouTube is Dr. Lori Santos. And her very, very popular podcast is entitled The Happiness Lab with Dr. Lori Santos. And I have all the links to connect with her and her work and also a link to today's entire talk. They will all be in the show description below. And if you'd like to hear the last time that we had her on the show, you can go back and check out episode number 339. All right. Don't forget to follow the show, share it, or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcast. I appreciate you for it. And that is a wrap for me. I hope you have a great rest of your day. I hope you have an incredible weekend and I'll see you back here Monday. So until then, stay strong. Later. Later.